0: Welcome to the Deep Sea Dive, where we explore deconstruction for ex-evangelical escapees of purity culture, along with a bunch of other topics related to conservative American Christianity, religious trauma, purity culture, feminism, and progressivism. I'm your host, Snorkel. Please keep in mind, this is an inclusive space. We do not judge anyone based on sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, race, ethnicity, age, class, religion, or lack thereof, or anything else. Trigger warning this episode will contain discussion of sexism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, racism, rape, victim blaming, shaming, dehumanization, physical abuse, spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse. Well, divers, it's finally here, part three of three, covering chapter four of Raising Maidens of Virtue. We have spent the past two episodes diving deep into this horrid chapter titled Homemade Homemakers of this book. Raising Maidens of Virtue, A Study of Feminine Loveliness for Mothers and Daughters by Stacy McDonald. And yes, this will be the final episode on this chapter. We are finishing it today, for sure. Three episodes is more than enough time spent on this especially misogynistic chapter, even though I could honestly rant about it for way longer. I think we're all ready to move on to greener pastures, or warmer waters, if you will. Just a quick recap in case you haven't listened to the other two episodes yet. The portion of this chapter we've covered so far involved a made-up, rage-bait, persecution-fetish story about an angry old spinster feminist confronting a little girl for daring to have a baby doll and wanting to grow up to be a stay-at-home mother. Hashtag, that happened. The author, Stacy then did a piss-poor job of trying to claim that practically everyone gets married, so you pretty much have to as well, even though the statistics do not back up this weird appeal to peer pressure followed by cherry-picked Bible verses about marriage and some incredibly flawed logic and fallacies concerning them. The TLDR is, Marriage is great because the Bible says so, and that means if you don't get married, then that's not great, and therefore it's bad. And most people get married, so that obviously means it's the right thing to do, and if you're going to eventually get married, then that means you should spend every waking minute training to become a wife and mother because those are the only possible roles of value you could ever fill. Thanks, Stacy. I hate it. I hate it so much. And believe it or not, the worst is yet to come. Keep something squeezable or punchable nearby in case you get overcome with rage the way I did while reading this, and if you're sensitive to certain topics, then you might want to avoid this episode altogether. I know I gave a trigger warning at the beginning, but I'll do another one before I mention the vilest of the vile things I'll be discussing today. Right now, we're picking up at a point where Stacy makes the interesting assertion that if God wanted women to be anything other than wives and mothers, the Bible would have told us specifically to go out and get a career, and that in the absence of such instruction, the only possible conclusion is that God definitely does not want or approve of girls and women making any kind of preparation for independence in any capacity. I am not even joking or exaggerating. I wish I was exaggerating. Quote, We might expect that Scripture would instruct younger women to find a trade or a means of making an independent living. Timothy had different instructions for young maidens. Instead of instructing younger women to find specialized training, he encourages them to marry, bear children, and guide the house. Older women are not instructed to assist young women in finding a fulfilling career or ministry, but to be keepers at home, obedient to their husbands, and loving to their children. Once again, Stacy is doing a fallacy. She makes the argument from absence that because the Bible doesn't explicitly instruct women to find careers or be independent, it's therefore forbidding them from doing so. You know what else the Bible doesn't explicitly instruct us to do? Drive cars, get vaccines, use the internet, write books, wear underwear, brush our teeth, have pets. The list goes on and on. Just because the Bible doesn't spell something out doesn't mean that it's forbidding it. And I read the Bible cover to cover numerous times. I grew up very conservative Christian. I went to a Bible college. I took several theology classes. The Bible does not forbid women to be independent, nor command that they all get married. In fact, quite the opposite. And this is just a quick aside that I'm inserting that was not in the script, but it's occurring to me that Stacy acts like the book of Timothy in the New Testament of the Bible was written by Timothy when actually it was not. It was written by Paul, the apostle, to Timothy, um, a kind of apprentice, younger pastor he was working with and training. And that just really makes me wonder, does Stacy even have any idea what she's talking about? Obviously, the answer is no, it's just ironic. Anyways, back to the script. Stacy tries to use 1 Timothy 5.14 as a gotcha. Quote, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary—adversary? Give none occasion to the ad—ugh, fuck. Okay, so yes, I had to look it up. It's adversary. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Unquote. Like I said in the quick aside, this book of the Bible is a letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to his apprentice Timothy, and it does indeed appear to be saying that women should be getting married, having babies, and staying home. But, and this is a big but, I cannot lie. In many of his other letters to other people and other churches, Paul commends and endorses women who are working in the ministry and outside of it. You've got Lydia, a merchant who sold purple cloth which was very expensive and so you know she was doing very well for herself, and used her money to financially back the early church. There is no mention of a husband. She was in business for herself. Maybe she was married or maybe not, but it wasn't relevant. Then you've got Phoebe, a deacon in the church who Paul entrusted to deliver and read his letter to the church in Rome. Dorcas slash Tabitha, a wealthy woman who ran charities and made clothes for the poor. If she was married or widowed, it's not even mentioned. Junia, mentioned by Paul as being an outstanding apostle. Also, no mention of a husband. Priscilla, who was married, but went around doing missionary and church work with her husband Aquila. She is mentioned as having taught others, is often named for her husband, and might even have been the author of Hebrews, another book of the Bible. So no, the Bible does not seem to indicate that all women are to become broodmares for Jesus. In all fairness, there are plenty of verses addressing women within the context of marriage and motherhood, but you could easily argue that that's a reflection of the culture. Back when Paul was writing this stuff in the first century AD, most women did have no choice but to marry. Most women were expected to be wives and mothers. It would be dismissive and reductive to not mention anything about this, and in fact, you can look at the fact that women's roles are included at all as a pretty radical thing in and of itself. Add in the numerous women singled out and praised for stepping outside of their expected gender roles and accomplishing other things, and it becomes pretty damn clear that Stacy doesn't have a leg to stand on, and she's either lying or has no idea what she's talking about. And yet she happily blazes on, running with this flawed conclusion and acting as if it's irrefutable. Quote, So if singleness is not the scriptural norm, and marriage and being a keeper at home is, doesn't it seem logical that marriage and homemaking should be our focus of training? Unquote. No, Stacy, it's not logical in the slightest. For all her blathering about Paul supposedly instructing all women to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, Stacy seems to be entirely unaware of the parts of the Bible where Paul says it's actually better to not get married. Paul spends all of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talking about how you should stay single if you can help it because it's easier to serve God when you aren't burdened and distracted by a family. He addresses both men and women very clearly and explicitly and states that it's not wrong to get married, and if you are an uncontrollable horn dog, then you should just get married and have fun doing the horizontal mambo instead of torturing yourself being celibate. But if you don't get bonked and go to horny jail, then you should try to just stay single. Whether you're a man or a woman, Hall's opinion is that marriage is just an option, and, again in his opinion, the lesser option. Boom shakalaka. So no, marriage is not the biblical norm, or even the absolute expectation. Plenty of single and married people in the Bible are held up as heroes. It's just that fundamentalists and evangelicals have made an idol out of sex and marriage and can't help reading their agenda into everything. Thanks to purity culture, people are growing up sexually repressed and emotionally stunted, not being taught about their own bodies or being allowed to express anything that even comes close to being sexual all while being bombarded with the message that sex is the best thing since sliced bread and it's the pinnacle of human experience and your life should revolve around it. You have to obsess over not having it or even thinking about it until you're married and then you have to always think about it. For fundies, sex is the ultimate expression of love. Sex equals love. And that is just so unhealthy and unrealistic and such a bad take. Even if you personally believe that God created sex to be an expression of commitment between a married man and a woman, you have to admit that putting it on a pedestal and practically worshipping it is heretical. God didn't create you just so you could have sex. It's so sad and dehumanizing to view people as either insatiable sexual monsters or just living sex dolls for said monsters. People are more than just their sexuality and gender. Now, can sexuality and gender be a huge and integral part of someone's identity? Of course it can. But we can acknowledge that without saying that it has to be the only thing that matters about a person. Your genitals and what you do with them does not and should not define you or your worth as a human being. But in this book, apparently it does. Two disastrous, deeply disturbing conclusions. Stacy continues her diatribe by talking about how people train for what they want to be. For example, people who want to be engineers study engineering. And she's not wrong about this one tiny particular claim. Obviously, if you want to be good at a specific specialized area of study or thing, you have to learn about and practice that thing. Duh. But her next assertion is frankly stupid. She says, quote, If a Christian man wants to be an engineer, we don't see him running off to auto mechanic school just in case he is ever laid off. Unquote. Firstly, I love how she specifies that this hypothetical person in her example is a man. Because of course women can't have careers. She spent the last two pages drilling that into our unfortunate heads. But also the fact that she specifies he's a Christian man. Like, I guess Christians can be absolutely certain that they'll only ever need one career path and only heathens change jobs. I don't know, I just thought it was funny. But she also is wrong. Plenty of people have backup plans or choose to supplement their training slash education with well-rounded subjects just because it helps with life. There's a reason you have to learn statistics in college, and grammar, and writing, and usually psychology, and often a semester or two of a foreign language. In theory, it helps you develop skills that can serve you well within a variety of different occupations, or just general life scenarios. So yeah, if you want to be an engineer, maybe you'd don't also simultaneously enroll in mechanics school, but engineering and mechanics often overlap quite a bit. A lot of the same basic principles of physics and mathematics will apply to both, so this is a stupid comparison as well as misleading. There's nothing wrong with planning ahead and having a backup plan. That's responsible. What is irresponsible is putting every single egg into one predetermined basket and assuming it's all going to just magically perfectly work out because you're just so super special awesome. The next two paragraphs are full of Stacy criticizing any woman who dares to pursue an education or career over early marriage and motherhood. She admits that women can be successful in the workforce, but follows up by saying that they can't both be career women and mothers. Which, where the fuck does she get off saying that while she is out here writing books and having her own career? She's also a mother of at least seven children and a hypocrite of elephantine proportions. This is such an old song and dance for evangelical women, though. They spend their lives getting to have it all while putting down and shaming other women who try to do the same. They want to have their cake and eat it, too, while preventing anyone else from having any. Rules for thee, but none for me. Stacy also apparently thinks working women can't know how to cook or clean or change a diaper. Obviously, women are just so airheaded and bitsy, they can't possibly know how to hold a job and make a meal. Like, how the fuck does she think single working women function? Later in the book, she talks a lot about how women should be their father's property and live at home until they get a new owner. I mean, a husband. But I can't believe she genuinely believes all women live this way in actual practice. Especially non-Christian women. How does she suppose they pay their rent or feed themselves? If there's one thing we learned during COVID, besides how unfathomably stupid and selfish people can be, It's that anyone can learn how to make a killer sourdough or grow a damn good garden. Maybe the reason more people in general aren't into the whole self-sustaining homesteading thing is because this stupid capitalist society doesn't allow for time to learn how to do any of that and relies on people constantly being overworked and underpaid and stressed and exhausted and desperate and barely surviving. And don't get me started on the white supremacist connotations of the whole cottagecore thing. I don't have anything against cottagecore, but we have to at least acknowledge the overlap between the idyllic, old-timey aesthetic and the fascist neo-Nazi propaganda of pretty white woman playing in a garden. But that's for another episode. Quote, I often hear from women who were never taught to cook when they were young. Many genuinely struggle with organizing and cleaning their homes consistently, mastering basic cooking skills, and being content at home with children all day. Unquote. Um, what? First, I'm sure she hears from all these miserable ex-feminist women, bemoaning the fact they lacked a misogynist upbringing. Second, you can know how to clean and organize and still struggle with it. I was raised with very strict and traditional gender roles. I knew from a young age how to clean and organize and do laundry and all of that, but that doesn't mean I like it. And as far as not being content to sit at home surrounded by kids all day— I feel like very few people genuinely enjoy that 24-7. Everyone needs a break now and then. Everyone needs a bit of space. Even if you've got a huge family and you love being a stay-at-home mom, there are going to be moments where you're tired or frustrated or just need to breathe for a minute, and there's nothing wrong with that. It disgusts me that Stacy seems to expect women to be domestic slaves and bear endless babies and worship their husbands and be happy about it. Like, if that's what you want, go for it, but it is not for everyone, and that's okay. She makes a point to emphasize how these unorganized, unmaternal women are also usually college graduates. Ah, old reliable. The argument that educating women makes them less malleable and exploitable. Because, you know, it does. And to conservatives, that's a good thing. Making women more dependent and subservient by denying them education and options is a feature for them, not a bug. Additionally, Stacy gripes about how these evil, heathen, college graduate career women know how to do things like drive a car, gasp, or balance a checkbook, clutches pearls, or change a tire, Fades dramatically. As if knowing how to do any of this is a bad thing. Why shouldn't anyone learn to drive, balance a checkbook, or just understand finances since nowadays most people don't really rely on physical checkbooks, but whatever, or change a tire. Those are good and useful skills. But I guess Stacy and her ilk truly want women to be 100% dependent on men for everything, even finances and traveling. If you can't drive a car and don't have access to a bank account, it's a whole lot easier to keep you compliant and obedient and submissive. You're not likely to fight back or run away if you have nowhere to go and don't even know how to do basic things, If your very survival is dependent upon the whims of whichever man who has ownership of you, it becomes very easy for him to use and abuse you. And that is precisely why so many conservatives love this dynamic. Conservative, fascist, predominantly white men stand to benefit the most from a patriarchal system where women are entirely dependent on men. And so that's the system they embrace and pursue and defend. You see this all the time with incel forums and red pill groups and men's right activists where they complain that feminism is the root of all evil, and in their limited view, it is. Feminism gives women options, and when women have options, they aren't forced to rely on men who are mediocre at best or abusive at worst. When women have options, they aren't forced to give themselves to men and wait on and serve men for their own survival and surprise surprise who is the most angered about this it's insecure men women like stacy either have been brainwashed into internalizing this misogyny or they acquiesce in the hopes of gaining favor and maybe a bit of privilege within such a confining system and here i'm willing to give stacy and others like her just a little bit of slack because i can't imagine how much abuse brainwashing and suffering they must have dealt with in order to truly hate themselves and their own gender and sex this much it's not an excuse it's just an explanation one possible explanation for why these types of women are so willing to betray their own sisters for the patriarchy i don't understand it and i even used to live it like i i was part of it and i still can't understand how or why it, it is that crazy and honestly i feel like i can make an entire other episode about this just trying to dissect my own feelings about this and going back to those painful times when i believe similar things i might not have known better but those are still times that i take responsibility for and those harmful beliefs i i do take responsibility for those and i want to do better i feel like that's the difference between stacy and me is that yeah she believes these awful things and she continues to i've looked at all the recent stuff she's done, and it's all like these weird anti vaxxed essential oils, weirdo stuff. So, I don't think she's really changed, but I have done like a complete 180 on my beliefs, and that doesn't mean I'm better than her. Nobody's better than anybody else like that. It just means I've managed to do some personal growth, and I hope everybody who has ever suffered from these beliefs can also do the same. This is this whole little piece is off script, and I just hope it can resonate with somebody. Um, but getting back to it. Once again, women like Stacy have either been brainwashed into internalizing this misogyny where you acquiesce in the hopes of getting favor and maybe would a privilege within such a confining system. But I cannot say for sure which category Stacy falls into, and I don't want to make assumptions. So we will move on. If a successful career woman isn't what makes a good wife, then what is? Quote: A young maiden should be well trained, well spoken, well educated and thoroughly prepared for her future life as a Christian woman who is ready, willing, and able to make an impact on a humanistic culture at war with God, there it is. A good little Stepford wife should be trained like a dog. Well-educated, but how if she can't go to college? And most importantly, part of the holy army against the culture. It seems to me that it's way more heretical and blasphemous to reduce half of God's creation to a fucktoy slash incubator, but maybe I'm just a sinful humanist. Quote: Her education should be focused on assisting her future husband as his valuable helpmate, not on becoming her own person. Unquote. And that—that that is the central theme of this chapter, and dare I say it, this entire book. If you happen to be assigned female at birth. You are not your own person and you never can be. You are not an individual. You have no value or worth on your own. The only meaningful thing you can do with your life is to dedicate it to being an accessory to a hypothetical future man. You exist to revolve around him. Anything you learn, anything you're given, anything you are, exists solely for the purpose of improving his life. Who cares about your life? You're just his property. You should be thankful for the chance to serve such a holy penis holder, because at least that way you can sometimes be made to feel like you're kind of useful. I don't have to tell you how sick and wrong and contemptible all of this is, which is good because I don't think I even have the words. And I love words. I'm a writer. This kind of worldview is sickening, but what's even more sickening is just how prevalent it is. It lurks everywhere. Masquerading is something more palatable. You don't have to live like the Duggars or follow Bill Gothard or even go to church at all to see this. It permeates society. Every time a conservative legislator tries to curtail women's rights, every time a bill is passed that limits our freedoms and individuality, every time our options shrink, it's because of people who believe that women are inherently inferior. Andrew Tate and the rest of the brain-dead manosphere, Donald Trump and his cult of misogyny and bigotry, every fringe and mainstream group opposing abortion rights and trying to force young girls to marry their rapists and and to try to curtail trans rights. These people benefit from and perpetuate patriarchy, and for every overt misogynist, there are a dozen covert ones. You can wrap it up in tradition, religion, pseudoscience, whatever, but the root of it is all the same. The hatred for and desire to exploit anyone who isn't part of the in-group, and right now, in the U.S., that in-group is straight, cis, white men. Stacy calls all women who want to pursue a degree or a career selfish because they're trying to serve themselves rather than God. As if you can't have a diploma and serve God. As if you can't have a job and serve God. As if everybody absolutely has to serve God. If God gives people free will, why can't you, Stacy? And it's always dangerous when you start to try to speak for God or whatever higher power or deity because the vast majority of the time, the voice of said deity starts to sound a lot like your own. Claiming a divine right to dictate other people's lives is how you end up with crusades and holocausts and genocides, but not the Spanish Inquisition, because nobody expects that. Finally, we come to the end of the chapter section dedicated to discussion questions, where we have a full two pages of questions that once again have very clear right and wrong answers. Stacey asks the reader to list their strengths, skills, and talents, but with the help of their parents because knowing and understanding your own self and limits is just too outrageous. She also asks how you can, quote, develop your mind while you honor and serve your father at home, unquote. Because of course your father is your practice husband. And from this sick point of view, it makes sense. If your lot in life is to faithfully serve and obey some man until you die, why not practice on whatever man is already in your life? Evangelicals absolutely love this creepy, emotionally incesty blurring of the lines between father and boyfriend slash husband. Sometimes brothers even get added into the mix too. It's nasty but there's another chapter later that addresses it more, so I'm not even going to try to get into it here. This episode is long enough. But Stacy tries to help us along with this question by giving us a list of examples of acceptable things to spend your time on while you languish in your unmarried state, waiting on your father while you wait to go to your forever owner. Things like helping around the house or in a family ministry, helping to homeschool siblings or tutoring other homeschooled kids, Although, if you're going to be teaching or tutoring, shouldn't you also have an education? If no women are ever actually allowed to be educated, how are they supposed to teach the next generation? You can also, quote, offer music, sewing, or other lessons to children, unquote. Because I guess those are the only worthwhile skills a female is allowed to have. I mean, you certainly can't teach driving or check balancing or how to change a tire, am I right? Other options include, quote, develop fine art skills, pursue expertise in gardening, cooking, baking, or arts and crafts, care for a sick relative or friend, or assist overwhelmed mothers, unquote. Basically anything that makes you useful in a domestic capacity or helps someone else to do the same. And I love how Stacey briefly acknowledges that all of these expectations can cause mothers to become overwhelmed or overworked, but the solution isn't to lessen those expectations or share the load with your husband, no. It's to exploit a young girl to help you raise all the kids that you can't take care of so she can practice dealing with her own kids that will overwhelm her that she can't take care of and the cycle will just continue, ad infinitum. The next part isn't even a question. It's just Stacy explicitly saying the girls are meant to be tailor-made accessories for their future husbands. Quote, Remember that a strong desire to be a doctor or a seemingly God-given talent in math is not an indication of God's will for you to have a career in medicine or engineering, unquote. Right, so even if God made you good at a certain thing, don't you dare think it means you can do that thing. Because, quote, sometimes God gives us talents and strengths for the specific purpose of helping our future husbands in their calling, unquote. Fucking ew. She's not even trying to hide it or sugarcoat it. She just comes right out and says your entire personality was designed to meet the future needs of your future husband. You as a person don't matter. The only thing that matters is how you can serve your future owner. Don't you even think about learning how to drive or balance a checkbook, but you better be ready to devote yourself to helping your useless chump husband in his career because that's the only conceivable reason God made you good at anything. And need I even point out that the underlying assumption of Stacy's is that not only will you for sure get married and have a husband to take care of you, as long as you obey and serve him unquestioningly, but also that you will stay married forever? What happens if your husband leaves you? Or dies? What happens if you are, for whatever reason, a single mother with a dozen children and no education, no skills, and no experience? What are you supposed to do then? try to remarry as fast as possible? Because obviously providing for your own family yourself or relying on government welfare is completely out of the question. The final section is somehow even worse than everything that's come previously. Massive trigger warning for sexual assault and victim blaming. It gets very dark. Please feel free to just skip the end or stop listening to this episode because After this, we'll just come the recap and outro, and if this is a difficult subject for you, I don't want to make it worse. Please take care of yourself and your mental and emotional health. Stacey instructs us to read Genesis 34, 1-5. For anyone unfamiliar, this passage deals with the rape of Dinah, who is the daughter of Jacob. Basically what happens is she goes into town, and the son of a local ruler sees her and decides to rape her, and then falls in love with her and wants to marry her. Dinah's father and brothers are furious and end up massacring the men of the town as revenge. We are never told how Dinah feels about any of this. I've heard speculation that she wasn't really raped, meaning someone forcibly had sex with her, and that maybe it was consensual and was labeled as a rape to save her reputation or her family's honor because her father hadn't condoned the relationship. We will never know the actual context or what it meant to her, because her voice has been silenced. Whether it was consensual or not, Dinah is pressured to marry the guy, who is then murdered along with every other man in the city, and all the women and children are carted off as spoils of war. It is a brutal story, but after her family kidnaps her back, Dinah is never seen or heard from again. We don't know what happened to her. We don't know her motivations. We don't know her feelings or intents. All we know is this one snippet of her life that is told without very much context. And plenty of people have made a living trying to extrapolate what it all means. Therefore, exploiting her all over again. But the commentary Stacy includes for us sure makes some absolutely boneheaded assumptions. It's not just ludicrous, it's downright offensive. Quote, Observe her vain curiosity, which exposed her. She went out, perhaps unknown to her father, but by the connivance of her mother, to see the daughters of the land. Probably it was at a ball. Unquote. Okay, first of all, we don't know why Dinah went into town that day. There is zero Way of knowing if it was to run errands or buy something or see friends or just have a walkabout or what? We definitely cannot ascertain that it was out of vain curiosity. Also, did you notice how the author of the commentary assumes that her father had no idea she was going out and baselessly blames her mother? Why is the mother accused of connivance, other than just pure misogyny? Also, Balls weren't a thing back then. This was in the ancient Levant, not Victorian England. Balls, as we think of them, with a Eurocentric, colonialized viewpoint, were not a thing. They had parties with dancing, but it's not the, like, weirdly structured Victorian thing that you think of based on watching Little Women or Anne of Green Gables. Quote, See what came of Dinah's gadding. Young women must learn to be chaste. Keepers at home. For those that are not keepers at home, expose their chastity. Dinah went abroad to look about her, but if she had looked about her as she ought, she would not have fallen into the snare. Unquote. What. The. Fuck. Just full-on, unabashed victim-blaming. The commentator calls Dinah a sneaky, vain little brat who just didn't know her place and ended up getting herself raped. This is so vile. Even if Dinah did go somewhere she shouldn't, and even if she was irresponsible or selfish or whatever, she didn't deserve to be raped. And it certainly wasn't her fault. But to absolutely no one's surprise, Stacy of course agrees with this assessment. She asks, quote, How could leaving the protection of your father's house for reasons other than marriage result in a dangerous or ungodly situation? Unquote. You got that? She doesn't think any woman should ever leave her father's house for any reason other than to be traded off to a husband. No wonder she doesn't want women to learn how to drive. They might actually be able to escape. And again, with the victim blaming, oh, if you aren't careful and if you disobey and try to be too independent, something bad might happen. It will be all your fault. If you'd stayed at home where you belong, this wouldn't have happened no just no blaming the victim is never okay and besides this completely negates the fact that so many victims are preyed upon by people within their own home look at the duggars look at the turpins look at every conservative politician who gets caught assaulting children all these culty families teaching purity culture and they're hiding a parisian catacombs worth of skeletons in their closets Is a solution to teach kids about consent and bodily autonomy and respect? Nope. Their solution is to just ignore the boy victims completely and then cloister girls away like prisoners as if that's somehow going to protect them from the predators within their own walls. It, It makes zero fucking sense. And I just cannot at this point. Because when Stacey says no reason other than marriage, she means it. Her very next question is, quote, What about college, mission trips, or youth functions? Unquote. We've already established that she thinks women shouldn't go to college, but mission trips? There is certainly a lot to be said about mission trips being exploitative, colonialism-y, and glorified vacations, but that's not what Stacy means here. She thinks it's somehow dangerous to let girls ever leave the house, even for a mission trip even for church functions if even church is too liberal for you what the fuck kind of kool-aid are you drinking and then how is any girl or woman supposed to grow spiritually under these conditions you can't go to college or seminary you can't go to church even can't go anywhere i'm surprised stacy it doesn't just pull a dale partridge and say that women can't even read the bible and have to rely on their husbands to teach them everything Because that's the logical conclusion of where this leads. These people want women to be more and more restricted and forced into incredibly narrow roles and definitions. I know this analogy gets used to oblivion and back, but it truly seems like they want The Handmaid's Tale to be a reality. Maybe they don't come right out and say it, but if you want a world where girls aren't allowed an education— can only be wives and mothers, and are trained from birth to be good bang maids and sold into marriage at a very young age, and are forced into reproductive slavery, and are at the mercy of their husbands' every mood and whim, then what's the difference? It's not hyperbole to compare the evangelical wet dream to Gilead. It's really not. I wish it was, but it's not. And people like Stacey try to write these innocent-looking, quaint books to normalize it but it's like gilding a turd. No matter what you do, at the core, it's pure shit. So that's it for this chapter. What a wild, weary ride. This episode ended up going long, but like I said, I was determined not to let this three-parter turn into a four-parter. Thanks for sticking through it. I know a lot of this is really heavy and can be really triggering and is just absolutely enraging. Thankfully, Chapter 5 is not only much shorter, it's also much less heinous, and while it's not a good chapter, I mean, nothing in this book is what I'd call good, it's certainly not anywhere near as horrible and offensive as Chapter 4 was. Thanks as always for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and or review and or follow and or recommend to your friends. If you have questions or comments or want to contact me for any reason, you can find me on Reddit as u forward slash the real snorkel or r forward slash deep underscore C letter C underscore dive. New episodes usually come out on Sundays. Next week, we'll discuss loving your own nest, whatever that means. I hope you'll join me for another deep sea dive. Until then, keep it real. Fight the power. Stay safe.